Dear Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your word and for the command, the injunction to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Lord, you have loved us fully and unfailingly. And so empower us by your spirit as we stand in the grace of our Lord Jesus, our risen King, to show and to share your heart and your love with our neighbors. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start here uh, with just a, a little bit of kind of social scientific reflection. This is uh, from an article a little while back. It says, it's a new day in the neighborhood all across the Western world. More than 30% of Canadians, from a Canadian paper, now say that they feel disconnected from their neighbors, while half of Americans admit that they don't know the names of theirs. An Australian sociologist investigating community responses in the wake of the 2011 floods in Queensland found relations in a precarious balance. Neighbors were hesitant to intrude even in emergencies, leading the scholar to conclude that we are less likely than ever to know our neighbors. Quite right, too. A recent poll of 2,000 Britons found a third declaring that they couldn't pick their near neighbors out of a police lineup. All right. Anybody, you think you can pick out your near neighbors from a police lineup? I hope it doesn't come to that. But culturally speaking, why is there so little knowledge of our neighbors? Why don't folks know the people who they live next to or interact with on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, Leslie. Porches. Yes. The yeah. lack of porches? Or? The, lack, the lack of porches. The lack of porches. Air conditioning. You know, we don't get out. You back off of air conditioning, okay? You don't put that on air conditioning. <laughs> I don't put that on air conditioning because we don't go out. But, yeah, no, this is a great point. And that's what, that's what you used to do. You gather on your porches with your neighbors. Okay, so you've got your AC. You don't have your front porch. Yeah. Whereas fences. it used to be you got fences. Well, good fences make good neighbors, right? <laughs> Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. Internet. Internet, okay. Yeah. So you have virtual neighbors. Right, exactly. Meanwhile, you neglect the physical people who are right beside you. Yeah, of course. When you live in a big city, you're not sure who you can trust. Okay, when you live in a big city, you're not sure who you can trust. Whereas in a small town like Arcadia, everybody gossips, so you know very well <laughs> who you can trust. Yeah, yeah, good. Other, yeah. Well, half of our neighbors right now are gone. Half, you okay. Know. So, or they're part-time people. Sure. So if, so if people are seasonal kind of residents, yeah, that impacts to it too. Sure. Other reasons, other things. Yeah, Lily. There's so much to disagree on. There's so much to disagree on, yeah. So reaching out is kind of difficult. Yeah, reaching out can feel hazardous. Better to just play it safe and stay back. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, listen. Two-income families. Because they're, okay. they're out during the dark, they're working during the day, they come home, even if they have kids, especially. Sure. They just want to stay home and not, yeah. you know, they've got things to do in sure. the house, but they just there, don't Yeah, so there's just a la lack of time. Um, yeah, good. Any other thoughts? I mean, there's so many things that we could rail off. Yeah, Esther. I think your value system has changed. Okay, uh, value system. You know, the pursuit of success. Uh, whether it's planetary or perceived or whatever. Right. You know, to be successful is more important to get that American dream. Sure. Rather than the importance of family like it used to be. Uh, I grew up, you know, where the neighbors always got together, the families always got together. And I mean, they were busy. My dad worked in, in, in a shop and farm, 
still we got together with right. family and, and neighbors and when it was threshing time <laughs> all the neighbors and their tractors, come together you know they would come to the house and there's a whole bunch of people yeah and there was fellowship yeah and helping everybody was helping one another but people rarely do that anymore right just looking out for number one we didn't have tv either didn't have tv either yeah right i mean these things that uh there there's blessings there's good things in them whether you're talking about internet air conditioning or tv um, but it can also keep us from coming together perhaps in the way that we would oh this is interesting so yeah casey i've just noticed um Yeah. I think so much of it is technology-based now. Sure. A lot of things are technology-based. And so if kids don't learn how to communicate, to problem-solve, to deal with their issues, as they become grown-ups, they're just going to stay from e away from each other. And Lord only knows how the last couple of years have affected that even more going forward. Right. Bottom line, if we as Christians are called, as we learn in Leviticus, to love our neighbor, the first step is usually at least to know your neighbor. <laughs> and uh, that itself can be a challenge. That can be, that can be a step. But um, that's what, one of the reasons I'm, I'm so excited about it. I mentioned it in the Inklings this past week, our Neighborly Cafe. Right? It's right there in the, in the name. But it's just a setting for people to get together. As, and we've been seeing that happen because folks are longing for relationship and for connection. And really just the, the vision of where our, our church is going and what, what we're about of sharing God's heart by bringing neighbors together by, and combating loneliness in that respect. It's important, vital work, especially in 2022. So Leviticus 19 has quite a bit to say about that. And in fact, this is the most quoted, cited chapter uh, from the book of Leviticus in the New Testament. Okay, So this is a, a really important chapter. So let's, let's dig into Leviticus 19. And number one on your handout there, Leviticus 19 outlines the life of holiness. Holy is, that's, that's the catch term. Shows up again and again and again. And it outlines the life of holiness. And really it does it by means of reflections or further expositions on the Ten Commandments in many respects. Flip over your handout. Uh, put a little table in there for you. And just for, for your reference. But all the Ten Commandments are reflected, some more so than others. But first commandment, you shall have no other gods, there in verse 4. Second commandment, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God, shows up in verse 12 and 31. Third commandment about the Sabbath, verse 30 and 3. Fourth commandment about honoring your fathers and mothers, your elders, shows up in verse 3 and again uh, in verse 32. The fifth commandment, you shall not murder, uh, is there with the, the love of neighbor, verses 16 through 18. Sixth commandment, adultery, uh, shows up verse 20 and 29. The seventh commandment, about not to steal, to help your neighbor um, keep his possession and goods, verses 9 through 11, 35 and 36. Eighth commandment, you shall not bear false testimony, verses 14 through 16. And the ninth and tenth commandments about coveting, 17 and 18, 33 through 36. They're all reflected in various ways, and, uh, and some are more explicit than others. But that's one way to look at this chapter of Leviticus. It's really just playing out, teasing out um, the Ten Commandments for the life of holiness for God's people. And everything starts there and flows from that in verse 2. Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, 
You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Everybody say holy. Holy. Holy is one of the, I mean, this is like probably top 10 Bible words that get thrown out there, and we're not always sure what do we mean by holy. So when you hear holy, what do you think of? Set apart. Set apart. Okay, good. Pure. Good. What else? Think of God. Okay, God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Someone that goes to church. Someone that goes to church. Well, thank you. Yes. <laughs> but that doesn't always mean they might be holy. That doesn't always mean they might be holy. And I'm waiting for somebody to say what I know you're thinking too, which is holier than thou, right? Yeah. We hear holy can also have a negative connotation because it's like, oh, well, aren't you holy, right? I won't be watching the Super Bowl today. I'm, I think I'm going to be praying between 6 and 9 <laughs> o'clock, you know? Oh, well, aren't you holy, right? Uh, so, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's right, exactly. Oh gosh. Okay, other thoughts on holy? What? I mean, we've we've kind of got to when the Bible talks about being holy, it is it's being set apart and set apart for a purpose. Okay, when talk when you speak to the people of God, when we think of God as holy, yeah, that picture from Isaiah six, which was one of our readings last week is the, the consummate picture of God's holiness. Isaiah gets this vision of the Lord high and lifted up, and there's the cherubim singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. And Isaiah's hiding, woe is me from a man of unclean lips. God in his holiness is perfectly pure, set apart from his creation. But now for his people to be holy, is to be set apart for a purpose. Not simply to hide and to think about how they are holier than thou, but that now to be instruments and vessels to bear his holiness to the world, to be a blessing to their neighbors. And furthermore, this holiness comes not out of themselves. It's not self-generated because, you know, just to use a, a, a cliche example, you don't go dancing. Well, then you're holy. It's not a holiness that is achieved, but a holiness that is received. It's not a holiness that comes from what you do or don't do, but it's a holiness that comes from your connection to the triune God. See, everything flows from him to us. So Peter will also echo this in 1 Peter 1. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Yeah, Bob. What, since you set apart or distinct, besides obviously being God, but what are the things that make him so absolutely distinct? Because I think he's perfect love. Mm -hmm. I mean, so there's not an ounce of self-centeredness in him. Right. Is those the kinds of things that we would ascribe to his holiness? Yeah, no, this is, that's a good question. So, okay, God is set apart. So he's set apart in what respect? That his, yeah, that his heart is unfailingly merciful. That, um, that he is a God of forgiveness, but also that he is able, he is set apart in this respect, to be at the same time perfectly just. And that, he can, and that his justice and his mercy are not in competition with one another. But that God uh, in himself is able to hold these attributes together. Um, yeah, George. Um, what about the concept 
of Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Sure. So, okay, so what, uh, George asks, what about the, the Heiligergeist? What about the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Holiness, as he's also called? Um, why, and why is he called the, the Holy Spirit? Luther would say he's called the Holy Spirit first and foremost because he makes you and me holy. Um, he's called the Holy Spirit because as the third person of the Trinity, not to you know, put on our, our doctrine hat here, um, he is God, and so he also is holy. Right? Um, he is the, the Holy Spirit because he is the sanctifier, the one who is, is sanctifying creation, sanctifying his people. And so for the reasons that we think of, of God generally as holy, it would be applied specifically to the Holy, holy Spirit as well. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything else but the Holy Spirit? What do you mean? It's just, is there a spirit? Oh, just a generic spirit that's yeah. not holy. In other words, yeah, is the modifier yeah. necessary? Um, well, Scripture speaks in terms of you know our spirit and the Holy Spirit. Um, it'll talk that way, and certainly it speaks of evil spirits. Yeah, unclean yeah. spirits. So sure, yeah. they're they're various and sundry spirits. Other thoughts on that? Okay, good. So just to further um, reinforce the point, because it really is the key point of not just this chapter, but throughout Leviticus, that obedience is inspired by likeness. Obedience is inspired by likeness. So what I mean by that is, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. So that striving to obey, to follow in God's ways, is coming from that that desire to be like the one who has laid claim to us. Okay? Um, He says, you shall be holy. We've talked about this before, but it bears repeating. There's three ways to read and to understand that. And this is true both in English, although less so than it is in Hebrew, which was written. So in the, the Hebrew tense, the way that it's written, there's three ways to understand it. One, and I think the way that's most natural or that we hear most commonly, is as a command. You must be holy. And that's one way to understand it. Secondly, though, is simply as a fact. You are holy. And then thirdly, as a promise, you will be holy. Which of those three is correct? Yes. Okay, good. Exactly. It's all of them, right? It's part of why it's such a potent phrase. But I guess where we um, can go astray here is if we do what I've done here, which is it starts with the command, you must be holy, and if you do a sufficient job of living a holy life, then you'll become holy and you will be holy. What God takes pains to show, as it says in Exodus 31 and many other places, is that I, the Lord your God, am the one who sanctifies you. In other words, I'm the one who makes you holy. Because you belong to me, because you share in my holiness, this is why he makes such a big deal in verses 5 and uh, through 8 about the peace offering. Because the peace offering is this gift through which God imparts his holiness to his people. So he doesn't want them to play fast and loose with it. Ditto, we might say, with the, with the Lord's Supper. He's giving to us his holiness, imparting his holiness to us, making us holy people. When we, call, uh, we refer to the people of God as saints, it literally just means holy ones. Okay? You are saints. You are holy ones. That's a fact of who you are. But it's also a promise that God is making you more and more holy, conforming you more and more to his likeness, to himself. So when this, this, this notion that we desire to obey God and to become holier is flowing out of that likeness to him and the fact that we've already been claimed 
by him. Right, let me pause there for questions or comments, reflections on that. Yeah, Hans. When you, I was just thinking, what if you're feeling you're not holy? Oh. You know, uh, 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 the, 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 on the off chance that that ever happens. On the off chance that might be yes. It's like you say, you must be holy, but I don't feel holy. Yeah, that's a great question. So Hans is asking, what about when you don't feel holy? Okay, I've got, I've got thoughts on this, but how about for you all? What, what do you think when you don't feel holy? Yeah, Lily. I've always thought of holiness as something unobtainable. Okay, yeah. So um, Lily says that she thinks of holiness as something that's unobtainable. And that full holiness in, how to put it, in, um, in this life, and when it comes to our sanctification and our growth in holiness, we never fully arrive in this age, right? Except verse 3, Lily. Yeah. That part in there about. So every, every one of you <laughs> shall revere his father's mother. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> it's an ongoing. You had to. Just right there for him. <laughs> Um, I, w- I was talking with uh, um, Mark Witte about this, um, about this specific thing. So we were praying for, for Mark and his family. His dad, Harlan, passed away at 88. And uh, Mark's been there for the last two months making sure that Harlan could stay home, which was his, his dying wish. He wanted to die in his home. It's a lot of work for Mark and his wife, Cindy. But we were talking about this, and I told him, so when does the fourth comm- commandment stop? to honor your father and your mother, right? And uh, fact of the matter, it doesn't, right? I say this, Ken, to your point, that th- it's an ongoing growth in, the, in holiness. You will be holy. But it's also a fact because in Christ Jesus, how God sees you and me, sees us in Christ, we are holy. It's both of those things together. So, yeah. Um, when you share in your children's message this morning that we may be his own and live under his, him and his kingdom mm-hmm. and serve him and basically and be holy. I find it fascinating that Luther located that in the second article, not in the third. Mm. He locates it under the gospel. Under the gospel. So the second article is all about redemption and what Jesus has done. So yeah. when I don't feel holy, it's really not about the God who claims me is holy, I'm holy. Exactly. Yeah. I think this is why Hebrews 12, you know, um, fix our, your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Because when you feel like, I can't perfect my faith, you're right. So look to the one who's doing it. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Where we get into trouble is when we fix our eyes on our navel, right? We do that, that navel gazing like, gosh, I just really don't feel... You ever do this? Uh, I, I don't recommend it necessarily, but go back and read. If you were like a, a journal or a diary type person, go back and read old, old journals. It can be a terrifying experience. I'm not going to lie. Um, but I was reading some of my old journals from, from college, and I was very much caught up in this kind of cycle. And it was just, it was torturous reading like day by day. I kind of be like, well, today I think was a good day with God because, you know, I was really, you know, keeping his, like, oh my God, well, this is disgusting. (laughs) What matters is his approval, his care for us rather than, you know, the feelings. The feelings come and go and it probably has as much to do with what you ate at the last meal than whether or not, you know, God likes you. It has more to do with it, for sure. So, anyway. All right. Yeah, go ahead, Leslie. I know it's three. Yeah. 
first comes the command, you must be holy. Well, we can't be. Correct. But those other two, the fact and the promise, make us, make us, uh, He's going to draw something. That's what we, that's what we, we cling to, is yeah, it, what yeah. he's done for us. Right. Well, so back that's to... That's what makes yeah. us uh, obey the command. I mean, we don't obey the command because right. God does it for us, but that's what makes the command Possible. doable. Doable, right, there yeah. yeah, that's right. So last, was this last week we did our, mm -hmm. our drawing here? The three uses or three functions of the law. We talked about this, and that second use or function of the law says a mirror which points out to us our failure to keep God's law, okay? So when we hear, you shall be holy as a command, you must be holy, inevitably, the law is going to go to work on you in that second sense, right? That, okay, yeah, I know that I haven't been. Like just, you know, with my words today, I've, I've failed to, to be holy. With my actions, I have, have not upheld this. But then, the, the point of that is to drive us to the Holy One. To, I mean, this, Jesus himself is called the Holy One of God. Um, so that, finding and deriving our holiness from him, now in that third use of the law sense, we're like, yeah, I, I, now I want to, to strive after holiness. I want to pursue it. Not because I know that that's going to make me holy or merit points with the Lord, but because this is who I am as one who has been chosen and claimed by him. Good. Um, this notion of, of likeness is... Uh, shows up again and again in the, in the scriptures. So just to, to look at one um, passage in this re respect, go to Ephesians 4. Is that right? Yeah, Ephesians 4. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump ahead just a little bit to uh, verse 22, uh, where it's set. Just picking it up mid sentence, really. But it says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. You have this new self. You're clothed with Christ, and then. Chapter 5, or really, end of chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We're, it's just, you know, we, we strive to be chips off the old block, Right? <clears throat> That we are, as those who are sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father, we strive to be like Him, to be merciful as He is merciful, to share His love with others. Okay, uh, let's, let's go ahead to uh, the next section in Leviticus, so back in, in Leviticus 19. And this is one of those chapters, we could spend a few weeks just going through um, everyone. If there's any particular... Um, uh, verses or sections that you want to go into more deeply, uh, by all means, raise your hand and ask about it. But let's jump ahead. I mentioned verse 5 through it. Let's go to verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. 
neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal. You shall not deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. The wages of a hired servant shall not remain with you until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. In these verses, we have this appeal to care for the poor among you. And it flows out of a sense that you yourself have are paupers, right? That we are now princes, but we started out as paupers. That now we are, so to speak, wealthy paupers. That we are those who were uh, and are poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs, Jesus says. So now this is how those who are rich in the kingdom's grace show his grace to others in, in some very practical ways. Let's look at the, the first one there, when you reap the harvest of your land. So I'm, this is, a, 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 it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to folks who don't have kind of an agricultural background, but somebody break down for me. What, what's it describing here and why, is this, why does this matter? What are they, what's God encouraging them to do here? Yeah, Carla. Well, there's an abundance, <clears throat> an abundance there, and you're to share that. You're not to hoard it or keep it for yourself. Yeah. But to be very generous in sharing. Yeah, be generous in sharing. So there's an abundance. God provides more than you could ask for or imagine. Don't hoard it. Good. Yeah, listen. Well, when you reap the harvest, you never get everything on the first go round. Right, right. And He's saying, don't go around again. Don't you go around again. That for yeah. Others. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Well, or also in like apples and cherries, there's uh -huh. a lot of fruit that falls to the ground. And before yeah. health codes, <laughs> they would go back and pick it all up yeah. to another revenue stream, but now they can't because of health codes. Huh. So it's just a greedy way of getting, it was really not the main revenue stream, what you get from the tree, yeah. but just another way to try and get more money sure. instead of leaving it there for animals, people who... Yeah. I mean, this was, this was pious Christian practice for, for hundreds of years, right? And in some places still to this day. Yeah, Bob? Well, critical in this, in the whole thing of being set apart as God's people, you couldn't go anywhere, literally in the ancient world, without going to that little, tiny strip of land called Israel. You couldn't go. Mm -hmm. So opening your home to strangers, having food in the fields for people to get, all that was set up that this, as you had in your newsletter, these are odd ducks, um, but odd for a purpose because he planted them in a very specific place with these specific rules for the rest of the world to find this place is different. It loves, it, it serves, uh, it's different. We don't see any altars to different gods. What's going on here? Right. And, and this is supposed to be a fruitful place. Yeah. I mean, to be able to not go back and get a second round means you got a, you got more than enough the first time around. Yeah, that's right. But it was intentional to feed, because he says a sojourner and a foreigner, these folks are traveling through their land, yep. and he says, I want you to take care of them on their way to wherever they're going. It's an act of hospitality um, to, to your neighbors and to provide for them. Um, I mean, in, in many respects, when we think of welfare, and it has all kinds of you know, baggage with it, but this idea is fundamentally a Christian idea, right? 
that there's a responsibility, a Judeo-Christian idea, that there's fundamentally a responsible responsibility, especially for the people of God, to care for those who are in need. Right. Yeah, listen. I think a good example of that is the food truck that's coming this Friday. Good. I mean, you know, I'm always those, Like Sam was saying, you know, those are seconds that we're getting. Right. But they're the, what was left after the cleaners left. Exactly. So, you know, it's the same thing. Continuing through. Yeah. When we, when I make tuna salad at my house, <laughs> and I give my dog the tuna can, right? Same. <laughs> oh, he thinks so. He thinks so. But no, th- th- this is this is kind of the idea. And to Carla's point, there's more than you need, more than you could ask for or imagine. Trust him to to provide for that. Yeah, Becky. Yeah. For a gleaner to come by and get, and then it bears the fruit of what God commanded here. Yeah, that's right. We, the the Lord of the gleaners. Very good. So this is this is one. Yeah, go ahead, Hans. I was gonna say, coming forward, most of us aren't. Well, some of us are, but most of us are probably not farmers. Sure. And you know, I think it also applies to everything that you do. Yeah, right. That you should be, you know, you know with your gifts, whatever you guys have yeah. given you, yeah. be generous with them. Right. It's not just, you know, just feed the poor. Right. It's be generous. Yeah. It, we're, we're wrong if we read something like this and think, oh, thank goodness I'm not a farmer, farmer. so I don't have to follow this stuff. <laughs> it's good. No, it's, it's for all of us, making room on the margins for those who are in need. Yeah. I think a lot of times maybe for retired people, uh, we can be generous with our time. Sure, yes. Yeah, exactly. You're being generous with your time and making sure, even when you're planning your, your schedule, rather than doing what we're so often encouraged to do today, which is to optimize and to be as efficient as possible with your time. Like, what if instead you build in, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build in time in my schedule because there's always somebody who comes unplanned, right? There's always those divine appointments. And so how can I... And rather than getting all stressed when it happens as it inevitably happens, think, how can I build that time into my calendar, into my schedule, to make room for those divine appointments? So, yeah, Carla. I think that's one of the things that's important about the ambassador training that you've provided for us. I love these plugs. Thank you, guys. Yes, please. <laughs> because it, it takes the focus off of you, and it's just you being available to people. Exactly. Just being available. Um, it's, God cares more about availability than ability, as, as it's often said. And I found that to be so true. He, he uses us when we say, here I am. Whether you're as willing as Isaiah is, or if you're just you know, like, okay, I guess I'm here. <laughs> he uses that. Yeah, thank you, Carla. Good. Okay, so then this continues to unfold. Oh, just a, a quick kind of stewardship point along these lines. I find it helpful, um, just two-word phrase, God provides, kind of a theology of stewardship in these two words. God provides, therefore, we can give freely and generously. He provides more than we need, more than we can ask for or imagine, therefore, we can give freely and generously, not having to hoard. But on the other hand, God is the one who provides. We are merely stewards. <coughs> And therefore, we must be good stewards of the gifts that are entrusted to us. See, that's kind of stewardship in two words. 
God provides. He provides all that we need. He's the one who provides it. Therefore, we desire to be good stewards of what he has given and entrusted to us. Yeah, let's see. I think on one of the same lines is, um, you know, somebody asked you to do something. Well, I don't, I don't have time to do it. You're right. You don't have time to do it if you say that. Yeah. Or, I don't have the money. You're right. You know, you have to say, I will make time. I will find the money or whatever. And right. it'll be there. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. I, a, a wise pastor said to me when I was young, complaining about the time, and said to me, you have all the time there is. Which is true, <laughs> unfortunately. Like, oh, wait a second, that is true. Um, and so, as it so often is, it comes back to priorities, right? What are the things that we prioritize? That's not to say, I think um, the, the flip side of that is then, okay, I can do everything, I can be all things to all people. You, you can't. Um, we've got to make decisions and, and hard choices. But, um, yeah, sometimes it can, we, we're too quick to let ourselves off the hook by just saying sometimes, oh, I don't have the time, I don't have the money, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, what's most important? That's what where it's What is it go. they say? You know, if you want something done, ask the busiest person you know. <laughs> if you want something done, ask the busiest person you know. It's good. Yeah. I think this um, adds an emphasis to the importance of, like, individualistic courtesy. Instead of, say more. Um, instead of uh, uh, dues required by law. Oh, sure. Instead, it's from yourself. Yeah. And from God-appointed laws. And right. Yeah. More of a personal mm -hmm. action than a law. Right. So, so the law makes it seem like a burden to give or, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, a requirement. Mm-hmm. So it's just something that you have to do. Mm -hmm. Or even that somebody else is going to do, you don't have to, to worry about it. But instead, you have been called to, to do this, and it comes from a place of grace and abundance. Yeah, this is what I, I want to do because of, of who I am. Yeah, good. Yeah, Bob. Yeah. When, when you read in different places, we're co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Right. We always think we get to go to heaven. But I think it's Psalm 2 that says he inherits the nations. Something yeah. Something to that effect. And, and if we're co-heirs with him, then, then we, because we're joined to him, are, are now co-owners with him of the world. And so, as Lily says, it's intrinsic then. I love not because the Lord told me to love. Mm -hmm. I love because I now am loved. Right. Because he dwells within me. Right. And I own, you know, and sometimes people say, well, if you talk like you're owning, you'll be selfish. Mm -hmm. No, the gospel is not about selfishness or hoarding. Right. And if I'm animated by that because I'm his now, I care about my neighbor because he's my neighbor, just the same as he's the Lord's neighbor. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's all about having that heart when I talk about us sharing God's heart. I mean that in that dual sense. On the one hand, it's about you know, spreading, spreading that good news, sharing his love with others. But it's also about us growing in the likeness of God. I mean, this is uh, certainly my desire as pastor is for all of us to have hearts that are aligned to the heart of our, of our Lord. That we would be beating in syncopation, synchronization, right? Along with, along with the Lord, right? Okay, good. Well, along these lines then, love, as Leviticus 19 and throughout the Bible makes clear, is a verb. Love is a verb. It's an action. It, I you know, preached on this recently with 1 Corinthians 13. It's not just the warm fuzzies people. It's not just about having nice feelings. Love entails actions. Um, I, I share this uh, passage from C.S. Lewis 
in premarital counseling, um, where he talks about, in the context of a marriage, but I think this is true more generally, he talks about how you make a promise to love. He says, how, well, how can you do that? He says, a promise must be about things that I can do, about actions. No one can promise to go on feeling in a certain way. You might as well promise never to have a headache or always to feel hungry. <laughs> so when we're called to love, it's not about promising that you're going to always, uh, like your neighbor, feel a certain way about them, but you're called to, for actions, that that love takes on flesh and it acts in certain ways. When you think of our Lord's teaching, is there any um, teaching or story that stands out in your mind when you think about what it means to, to love your neighbor? Yeah, Esther. Judas. Ooh. When he came, friend. Wow. Friend, do you betray the son of man with a kiss? Interesting. So Esther, Esther points out the, the, the um, incident of, of Judas's betrayal, that even there, Jesus refers to him as friend. And God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow, thank you. That's not what I was thinking of at all, but that's perhaps even more profound. Other passages or, or stories? Good Samaritan, Good Samaritan right? That's, that that's was, the one he was thinking of. That, yeah, exactly. But I love it when you think of something else, too. But the Good Samaritan, right? Because this is where the guy comes up and what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Where it's like a contradiction in terms there. It's not about what you do to an inheritance. It's inherently grace. It's a gift. Jesus says, oh, you know the commandments, right? Yeah, yeah, but uh, who is my neighbor, right? Seeking to justify himself, Luke tells us. And then Jesus tells that story. And, the, I mean, it's unutterably profound when you think of that whole story of um, there's the, the level of the fact that it's a Samaritan, finally, who comes for this man who has fallen. So there's that kind of, of ethnic crossing. Um, but also this notion that your neighbor is whoever is near to you. The word neighbor both in uh, the ancient languages and, and still in modern English, comes from a root meaning, just meaning the nearby guy, right? Who's your neighbor? It's whoever God has put in your path. It doesn't have to be somebody in a house right next to you. In the story of the Good Samaritan, who's the neighbor? It's this guy in need right next to me, right? Those are, those are your neighbors. Um, and then the call then is to show that love to them, to act it out. So it goes on in, in Leviticus 19. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I'm the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. There it is. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. St. Paul will tell us in Romans 13, this is the epitome of the law, right? To love your neighbor as yourself. Why that? Why as yourself? What, what does that add to the command? Why doesn't it just say, you shall love your neighbor? What does the as yourself part add to it or what addition does that make to it, nuance to it? We think about number one first all the time anyway. Okay. We think, we think about number one first all the time anyway. And so there's kind of a realism to it. Yeah, that's kind of, instead of, you know, for 
going to love our neighbor as ourselves. We're going to think of them as much as we do ourselves. Yeah. Self-interest. Right. Yeah, I, I think that Esther's onto it here. I mean, and isn't that fascinating that God knows, he knows our hearts, knows that we're continually turned in on ourselves, um, but he speaks to us even here in a, a merciful sort of way. Like, look, you know how you guys are always thinking about yourselves? Oh yeah, I guess we are. Yeah, okay, good. Um, so now I want you to think that same way about your neighbor, right? <laughs> Just how you take care of yourself, so take care of, of your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's such a, a powerful word, and I think, I mean, obviously it scales to all of our different aspects of life. Yeah, Leslie. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves, we don't have that fighting idea, you know, well, this guy did this to me, or that sure. guy did that to me, so I'm not going to have anything to do with him anymore. Right. Where, okay, he did something. Get over it, people. Get, right, get over it. Well, and this, I mean, to me, it, it kind of brings it home. When we think about loving your neighbors yourself, I think, you know, our mind goes to um, the, the old lady crossing the street or, the, you know, like the Good Samaritan, the guy who's uh, maybe the car on the side of the road or something like that. Those can be opportunities to exercise this love of neighbor. But who are the, for most of us, who are the neighbors that God's given to us? The first neighbors to love. That's your, parents, yeah, parents. It's, it's parents, it's spouse, it's kids. Sometimes it can feel like it's easier to love some other person somewhere else than it is just to love the little people who are running around in your own home, right? Like, oh, I have to love this one like I love myself? Like, I got no problem loving the guy down the street, but this one. Uh, and that's why our day-to-day -day life, family life, home life, um, and our vocations, that's the proving ground for our faith because those are the first neighbors that God has given to you to love and to share his heart with. That's your most important vocation above all else. So, yeah, man. In talking about neighbors, you know, it seems to be often in the context of letting things go, you know, forgiving the, the grievances of, of back and forth. But I, I think it's interesting here that it mentions, you know, about do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to yeah. the great. That there is a balance yeah, yeah. in God's law right. that is, is, I think, being lost more and more all the time. You know, because right. it's not just always okay to, you know, we see that, and I think our politics in the United States that there's gain to be had from deferring to the poor or giving preference to the wealthy. Sure, right. And it gets exploited. Yeah. Um, and that's something that we are to avoid also. Yeah, yep, that's exactly right. I mean, that um, it, this is not, the, to love your neighbor doesn't mean um, just to turn a blind eye to things. It doesn't mean to, to whitewash evil or to act as though it's not there. But instead it means, this is, gets back to what we were saying before about that ju God's justice and his mercy going hand in hand, right? Um, that you don't love well if you also don't uphold justice. And that means not deferring to the poor or to the great, but in righteousness judging your neighbor, right? Yeah, Robin Hood was a thief. Robin Hood was a thief. <laughs> yeah, Priscilla. When you talked about um, how it's easier to love someone else other than those close by in your family, then it goes full circle to reminding us that we are holy. Yeah. Because even when we don't feel like we have loved yeah. or we have loved well, yeah. those near us, and I remember when I was a teenager, there was a, um, a little pamphlet that came out. And 
and there was a train. And it said, fact, faith, feelings. Mm. Fact is Jesus died for you, loves mm -hmm. you, you are holy. Mm -hmm. the feelings are next, and the caboose on the train is your feelings. Or, yeah, faith is next, and then the caboose yeah. is feelings. Right. Yes. Feelings. Yes. And so don't let the caboose yeah. you know, drive it. Yep. It's really important. Yeah. So often we run on feelings. Yep. That's right. That there's a place for feelings, but uh, well, I just think of the kids' book. Uh, don't let the pigeon drive the bus. Um, <laughs> don't let the don't let the feelings drive the train, um, because who knows where they're going to go? It's going to go off the rails pretty quickly. Um, let that fact of Christ's resurrection. If Christ be not raised, then there's nothing nothing left to say. But because he's raised, that drives everything else, um, and that including that care for the neighbor. And and to your point too about you know. We live in this, um, well, I guess I wrote about this in my Inklings this week, that cycle, that cycle of sending, right? And what do we say in the confession? I've not loved you with my whole heart, and I have not what? Love loved my neighbor as myself. So, like, you, you've already given that up, okay? You already acknowledged you failed in that, and then we're able to receive that forgiveness. So that, why? We may delight in your will and walk in your ways, okay? Because he puts us back out and says, yep, you failed, but now I'm going to send you back out. I've had people ask me, how have you stayed married for so long? <laughs> in this day and age, you know. I wondered that too. <laughs> 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 All right, that was my, that goes my whole thing. Just, <laughs> yes, and you said. And the first thing I tell them is, and it's biblical, do not let the sun go down on your wrath, sure. which to me means, okay, we've had a fight. I'm, so I gotta stay up all night. Right, exactly. that, that's waiting not, for you to fall asleep. Waiting for, for you to you know, to tell me right. that you're sorry. Right. So but to me it means I should be the first one to say I'm sorry, whether I'm in the right or in the wrong. I'm usually in the right, but that's <laughs> right. and then before we go to sleep. No matter what the situation, right. we always say, I love you. Yeah. Because you don't know if you're going to be able to say it in the morning. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, this is so true. Um, and yeah, I've, I've, I've heard those stories too. Um, forgiveness is the glue. And, um, and being able to, to forgive one another, and certainly that all flows out of receiving that, that forgiveness from the Lord. And it goes from and there. If you are angry, yeah. and you say, I love you, that takes away some of the anger. Yeah. And uh, also, this is why Jesus says, pray for your enemies and bless those who, who curse you because it's hard to stay angry at somebody that you're showing love to and praying for. So, good. Okay, we'll pick up with chapter 19 and continue this uh, next week. Thank you for your participation and attention. See you then.